This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Hector Aguirre speaks with Oliver Libby, co-founder and managing director of HL Ventures. Oliver Libby is the co-founding manager and partner of HL Ventures, based in New York City. It was founded in 2009. HL Ventures is dedicated to building high-growth businesses that add value to society by protecting and promoting people and the planet with a strong preference for diverse founding teams. HL Ventures' proprietary daily active engagement model blends the best of venture studio and investment firm on one platform to help grow companies from an early stage to exit in a holistic approach to company building. So welcome to the Impact Report, Oliver. Thanks so much, Hector. I'm glad to be here. So uh, how about we dive right into it? Um, so the Impact Report is hosted by the Board MBA program. It's an MBA program in sustainability, and impact really is at the heart of everything we do and learn every day. So can you explain to us why you sought out to start an impact investment virtual fund and how your investors' expectations may be different from traditional VC? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this goes back to to my background. I grew up as the son and grandson of doctors and scientists and so spent a lot of my youth in uh, either my mom's medical practice, working the front desk or my grandfather's laboratory or uh, watching my dad work with his team as well. And uh, those teams were unified by both a really strong devotion to their mission. They were doing something important. They felt that way. It motivated them. And they were also very diverse. Uh, you know, postdocs and physicians and scientists and, and staff from all around the world uh, unified by that mission. Uh, I myself went a slightly different direction. I ended up starting my career in the government. And again, I was surrounded by diverse teams, uh, you know, ethnically, racially, gender wise, geographically, you know, geographically speaking. Um, and uh, and that was very motivating. And obviously in government, you have a mission too. When I left the government, I ended up, um, you know, starting to work with startups. And I was really excited about the innovation in startups and the entrepreneurship, but really confused as to where all the mission orientation and the diversity went. Because in kind of 2003, four, five, six, when I was first starting in this work, um, you know, the, it was, you know, pretty, pretty homogenous space uh, and, uh, and pretty, pretty, I would say, you know, at times mercenary, right? And so when I had the opportunity, thankfully, to be able to launch my own firm, uh, being at the nexus of growth, impact, and diversity uh, was really the only way I would have done it. Um, and uh, part of that is altruistic, and part of it is because I thought there was a huge opportunity in funding folks who had not had easy access to funding, who had really uh, great solutions. And um, and you know, thankfully, that's played out pretty well over over the course of almost fifteen years now. Um, you asked about investors and their expectations. You know, um, for a long time, particularly in the early days, you know, over a decade ago when we started, impact investing was. Know, tacitly thought of or even overtly thought of as concessionary. Uh, you're you're going to be kind of a charity, like, all right, maybe you make, make some money, but all the impact stuff is really the important stuff. 
the fact of the matter is like, we never accepted that and our particular investors never accepted that either. So we believe we can generate, you know, uh, market returns and, you know, with, uh, you know, hard work and all that, maybe even better than that. Um, and that impact and diversity actually can help, uh, you know, um, drive, you know, this great research that diverse teams um, drive better results. This is, uh, you know, good peer reviewed university research. You don't need to look hard to find it. And so using that as an investment thesis seemed very sensible to me. And the idea that that would be concessionary didn't make any sense. But I know this is a long answer. The last thing I'll say is like impact investing is impact is just a, a lens that you look at. So you can have 100% loss impact investing, which is philanthropy. You can have impact related credit, which might return two or eight or 6% and impact related venture capital, which has a much higher return bar. So all that can be impactful at the same time. Got it. Uh, do you mind speaking very quickly about the time frame of your fund? Is it seven years, 10 years? So. We're a very traditional structure for our opportunity fund, which is a much longer, you know, which is kind of a long horizon, right? So it's a, you know, 10-year funds, uh, just like most venture firms. Our venture studio has kind of an indeterminate horizon. So it's more of what we call an evergreen uh, vehicle. So we're, we have less pressure uh, to, uh, you know, meet some of the traditional benchmarks in the venture studio because we have longer and, and can build kind of a deeper relationship with those companies. And then in the venture fund, it's a little bit more traditional. Got it. So, um if you were to go on HL Ventures uh, website, you would find the commentary on this, uh, on the Venture Studio and the daily active engagement, which seems like a very core part of the way you approach and supporting your startups. Can you speak uh, how this has led to your success and how it pertains more closely to the thesis that you explained to us earlier? Yeah, you know, I'll say this. When when I started in the venture world, uh, venture has a lot of like core mythologies that power a lot of the way people talk about venture. One of the interesting debates in venture is how hands-on you want to be with the founders you work with. And I was always confused about this debate. I thought if you have the resources and you can help, why not help? I always liken it to you know, a mountain climbing expedition. And uh, sure, you know, you might want to try your hand at climbing Mount Everest, but it is much wiser to do that with some Sherpas who really are experts. They know the mountain, they know where all the, you know, handholds are and the oxygen tanks and everything. So we could be Sherpas to entrepreneurs taking nothing away from their, you know, their success and and their, you know, their drive and and their idea, um, but just to be there to help. And so, you know, I always said like, look, I want to have, uh, you know, I want our underwriting, our due diligence to be very strong. I want to pick great companies up front, but then the work begins, right? Then we can get involved and over, you know, years and years and years of hard work with our portfolio companies, we can have a material impact. We can put our, our thumb on the scale as it were. And that's why daily active engagement is such an important part of what we do. We've kind of taken it to an almost absurd degree. Most of our team members are focused uh, on what happens after we write our first uh, investment or when we bring companies into the studio and that to me has been an enormous reason for the success we've had as a firm. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what HL Studios versus what City Rock Ventures looks for between in, in its founders and the differences between each fund? Well, you know, I'm not sure that we look for altogether different things, but they're manifestly different stages. So for us, just a really bright line, anything, any company that's coming to us that's pre-Series A is in consideration for the studio, and anything that's Series A or later is in consideration for direct investment from City Rock. Everything is owned by our holding company, HL Ventures, so it all comes to the same place. Eventually, me and all my team members work at HL Ventures, so we work part of our day on studio companies, sometimes on the City Rock companies. It's very, uh, you know, it's, it's very fluid. Um, 
you know, the studio companies are really early, right? We'll, we'll meet companies sometimes with an idea on a napkin, maybe some product, some traction, but it's very early, right? By any stretch of the imagination. Whereas at City Rock, usually at Series A, companies have product market fit. They're seeing initial revenues, you know, up to a million dollars, something like that. Um, but, you know, fundamentally, is the characteristics that I look for in a founder, you know, someone who's mission-driven, who's capable, who's a resource magnet, who is, you know, resilient, who is, uh, um, you know, devoted to some of the principles that we espouse as a firm, who is, uh, you know, expert in the vertical they've chosen to be. And all those things are things that are universal no matter what the stage is. So uh, we look for some of those same core, the integrity, it's the core of the, the entrepreneur uh, herself or himself. Can you tell us a little bit about a specific founder or success story that has gone through HL Ventures into City Rock? Well, you know, so I, I really try not to pick, pick favorites, uh, but, um, but you know, there, there's some wonderful stories, uh, you know, uh, for example, a company that uh, recently uh, um, achieved an exit is a, a community solar company called Solstice. Uh, Solstice was founded by two incredibly powerful women, uh, Steph uh, and Sandia, uh, and you know, this has been a great story. We've we've uh, been involved in the studio at the studio level with uh, Solstice for uh, almost four years, uh, and uh, we've helped in a lot of different ways and really gotten to know the founding team. I've been with them every step of the way. We made investments out of each of our vehicles uh, along the way, and it's been great to see a company that had the mission of making solar more affordable and accessible for people, founded by two women of color, uh, achieve an exit and go all the way through the the entrepreneurship journey, um, and uh, and and to do so with an immense level of integrity, right? I mean, if you look at Solstice today, one of the things that every team member will tell you is this is a very mission-driven company. And yet, you know, to have achieved uh, that holy grail of entrepreneurship, which is an exit to a large company. And uh, and so that's been a really, it's been a really interesting journey for us. But, you know, we have over 50 portfolio companies. We're looking for, um, you know, we are looking, we hope our investment thesis is to alter the math a little bit to have more companies reach a successful outcome even if that successful outcome isn't necessarily ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange uh, or the NASDAQ, right? Maybe it is, but I think if you if you change the expectations to needing everything to try and be a unicorn, you can have a lot more successful outcomes that in their aggregate return a really uh, a good, good result. So Oliver, I think you're reading my mind because that was my next question. I'm glad you brought up the unicorn comment because once again, on your website, there is this comment that says unicorns are great, but not every successful company needs to follow that particular narrative. So uh, would you mind digging a little bit deeper on that? Yeah, I mean, in America, we have somehow reduced the term entrepreneur to evoke a hoodie wearing billionaire, uh, you know, like a Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg and nothing against Jack and Mark, but um, entrepreneurship means more than that. It means more than that to our country. It cannot just be the meta Facebooks or uh, the Twitters of the world uh, or Uber or Tesla or whatever it is. It's also 25 million small business owners. It's you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs with interesting ideas for technologies and inventions. And they all get a part of this too. And in our venture studio, because we have much more uh, you know, long-term view and evergreen capital, we're able to work with companies that may not have a billion dollar exit but the question is, can you turn some money into more money and in so doing, get an idea or solution out into the world? And so I have uh, never been a fan of what venture capitalists call the power law, which is that you're really looking for a couple of companies to return the fund and the rest of it is like, all right, that's just part of entrepreneurship. You're just going to lose them. I am much more a fan of what a baseball fan would, would, would know as Moneyball, which is I want my players on base. I want them scoring runs. If someone hits a home run, 
So if we have a unicorn in the portfolio, and thankfully we do, that's great. I'm not going to complain about a home run, but I don't need to win games using only home runs and grand slams. And that's the game I want to be playing. Phenomenal. So yeah, it, the exit can come either via IPO or uh, another larger company occurring, um, occurring that smaller company. What, what happens in the case that a company doesn't want to uh, have an exit and they just want to continue growing on their own? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question. I think the venture capital industry is really poorly organized for that sort of thing. In our venture studio, we're fine with that. So if a company wants to manage, you know, for 50 years and issue dividends, the venture studio is cool with that. If money comes from our venture fund, like so the more formal fund, City Rock, that has limited partners, you know, institutions that have invested in us, we do look for an exit. And that's a conversation with founders. You know, we have a very transparent conversation where, you know, what do you want from this company? Uh, and it's totally fine if they want to stay in the venture studio and operate the company forever and, you know, we make some investments from the studio, that's that's fine. But if they're moving through the Series A, Series B, you know, that flywheel, then, you know, probably they're going to be looking for an exit at some point. Right. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you've seen the space evolve uh, since you founded uh, um, since you founded in 2009? Um some you know, dramatic change, right? I mean, in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, 2009 was like the actually the market lows from the 08 financial crisis. So things looked a lot different. I mean, I've seen everything. There's so much change, you know, first of all, I mean, what I used to think of as a series A is now a seed round. And uh, so it's been like a huge, you know, change in terms of the amounts of capital involved. There's been massive changes in modalities in terms of like the sorts of dollars in this space you know there was no such thing as a soft bank vision fund uh when i got into this space there was no tiger global you know uh uh you know uh investing in a company every couple of days right um so it was a it was a much slower space in a lot of ways um and and more even smaller than it is now although most people don't realize how small the space really is i mean even now today with softbank and other funds you know, there's well under a trillion dollars under management in the entire venture capital industry, which I mean, asset management is, you know, smaller than like a Blackstone, you know? Um, so, uh, so I think it's important to keep the scale in mind. Also, we've seen a lot of movement towards impact and diversity, DEI, uh, you know, ESG type uh, screens. Uh, we have a long way to go, right? So, you know, there's slightly more money available to female and founders of color, for example, but still way too little. So like we're, you know, we're kind of moving along the the, the road, but it's much left to travel. Um, and then, you know, I think we've seen a little move in the last few years about getting more hands-on and, and uh, getting more help into the hands of entrepreneurs, which has been great. We've seen the, the kind of venture studio model really blossom. We've seen a lot of venture firms kind of uh, you know, create platform groups and and really empower people there to feel, you know, more like frontline, um, critical to the outcome type uh, professionals, which is really important. So, gosh, I mean, there's been a lot of change. Um, you know, we're seeing a change in uh, the fact that uh, there are more uh, more diverse general partners of funds, which is something we welcome. We're close allies with a lot of funds that have female managers, black managers, Latinx managers, et cetera. So that's a great thing as well. 
we've seen geographic diversification. I could talk about this for hours, <laughs> Hector. You know, we've seen like, you know, I think it's probably pretty healthy that we don't just have one, you know, valley that has all of our innovation funding in America. It's like great to see that obviously blossoming in New York, where I'm from, which I've been a big fan of and a, and a part of that revolution here, but also to see like the Atlanta funding ecosystem and funding in Detroit really, uh, you know, skyrocket funding in Texas and LA and really interesting places. So the, the times are changing for sure. And uh, some of it, much of it, I think is for the better. So if I can, I'd like to roll in two questions in one. Um, so you talked a little bit about uh, diversity of the founding teams and the actual um, actual venture capital firms themselves. So wanted to ask you, um, was your team, is your team as diverse as the business that you, that you seek to find? And also when talking about impact, that's a separate question. Uh, when I look at the landscape of venture capital, a lot of environmental impact is being driven in the clean tech space, but I don't see a lot of um, funding for ventures that are driving social impact. So wanted to get your take on that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, look, right. So the second question first, there's a lot of funding in climate and sustainability right now, because also we've just gotten a lot of support from the federal government. And there's been a, you know, there's a boom bust cycle. So there was a boom 10 years ago, and then it kind of busted. And then a bunch of stuff started working, which was kind of cool. Um, so now we're in a big boom again. But look, we're, we're, we're evaluating, you know, for example, DEI HR technologies, we're uh, evaluating, you know, uh, a lot of financial inclusion, we're looking at two different neobanks right now, one focused on the black community, one focused on formerly incarcerated uh citizens uh so i mean uh, there's a lot in uplift and so you just have to kind of look for it and again i wish it were more right i would always want more but um but we are seeing a lot in in kind of you know health and wellness outcomes we, we do a lot of work in that space as well we're seeing you know application of uh, ai and other screening methodologies to make sure that uh, underrepresented communities get access to healthcare, for example and that their outcomes are also part of studies which has been a big problem right you know garbage in garbage out data uh, that doesn't take into account the needs of certain populations and certain illness types. Um, so there's so many ways to express impact and venture, and we're generalist in that way. We love that. Um, from a diversity perspective, you know, I mean, obviously, we, we've always wanted to have, like, we've always wanted to have one of the most diverse uh, portfolios uh, in venture, and we've wanted our firm to represent that. Now, my founder, my co-founder, Eric Katsamamos, and I are both white men. Um, and I think that's okay, right? Like, I think, you know, most venture capital assets are still in hands like mine. And if we don't take responsibility for building in diverse funding for entrepreneurs of color, women, people from diverse geographies, et cetera, uh, it's going to take decades for uh, for the problem to, you know, for, for, for this inequity to be resolved. And so um, I think it's important for funds that have, you know, uh, uh, you know, leaders who look like me to also be part of impact and diversity. Now, the rest of our team, we're majority women. We have a lot of professionals of color. Um, and so we have tried to make the team look like the, the ecosystem that we're trying to create amongst our entrepreneurs. So if you look at our advisors, our venture partners, our team, you'll see a lot of diversity there. We're one of the most diverse teams in venture. Um, but again, I just want to emphasize, like it's actually something I've written a lot about. The answer to building more funding for diverse entrepreneurs is not just 
to make sure that there's money in the hands of diverse fund managers. That is an important part of it. But it is also unfair to assume that if you give funding to, for example, a black fund manager, that all that fund manager is going to do is fund black people. That's also like what happens if that fund manager has a sports related thesis or a biotech related thesis and they want to just invest in good biotech companies. Why should we limit the solution to just like funds like? So I think it's very important that diversity be the responsibility of every GP, every venture fund manager, regardless of what we look like and what our backgrounds are. Do you feel like that's been a competitive advantage when approaching founders, uh, diverse founders, when they look across at your team and feel like they could resonate with, especially on the HL uh, labs part of it, right? 100%. And the fact that we're, you know, we've been partners with HBCU.VC, we're a venture firm that knows what a historically black college, you know, is, uh, that's helpful, right? And I don't want to give us too much credit, right? We still have a long way to go ourselves. We're always iterating and always improving, but we've really tried to reach out. And then to your point, it is just something that's been written a lot about. It's very hard to pitch a room that's entirely different than you. And so, yes, if we have a, a team that is diverse and welcoming, that is going to have an impact on our pipeline and ultimately in our competitiveness as investors. So I guess to wrap up, any additional thoughts you'd like to share with us or any advice you would give anybody looking to break into this space? It's a great, I mean, I feel very blessed to have this as my profession and be able to do the things that we're doing. It doesn't mean that there's not hard days and frustrating moments, because certainly there are, just like with anything, but it's a, it's a wonderful place to get into. It's getting bigger, keep chipping away at it. And uh, and I will say also, I founded a nonprofit that that is entirely dedicated to supporting student social entrepreneurs. And what our mantra is there at the Resolution Project is that uh, young leaders can start now. You don't have to wait. And so that applies just as much to MBA students as it does to anything else. So for all the Bard students, for all the Bard alums, and for anyone else who's watching who's a student, uh, you know, there's no need to put it off. There's ways to chip into the space, to intern, to work, to have ideas and solutions, start your own company, make tiny little investments if you are fortunate enough to be able to do so. Whatever it is, get in there, get involved. Um, you know, the space is improving, but we have a long way to go, folks. We appreciate our loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot on Instagram and tag Impact Report Podcast. Learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode by visiting HL Ventures online at h-l.vc. And be sure to head to greenbiz.com or impactentrepreneur.com to read a recap of our conversation. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, December 16th. We'll be speaking with Don Golden of Just Capital Quotient. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, circular economy, and more about how they've launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industries. Visit gps.com.
www.bard.edu slash resources today.